This is HiFam. I'm Avital. Society seems to be in a war between the offensive and the offended, between those who kill with facts and logic and those who follow heart and soul, between the left and right hemispheres of the brain, perhaps, and of our politics, between those who think and those who feel. The polarization is obvious on a macro and micro level. But it's a totally false dichotomy, and it's hurting us, our families, and our children. In so many areas of our life, the pendulum often swings from one extreme to the other, and often in an intergenerational way. One generation will think something's healthy and important and necessary, and the next generation will rebel against that very same thing. Many of us, myself included, grew up in homes with a very different attitude towards emotions and feelings than the reigning ideas today, than what's trendy and popular in parenting books, for example. Maybe in your home or at least in your parents' home or in your grandparents' home, I'm going to imagine that somewhere in the recent generations of your family, emotions were not supposed to be expressed freely. Feelings were not celebrated. I'm going to assume that there was some kind of sense that emotions equal weakness, that they should be suppressed, that they should be brushed under the rug. It's the idea of the stiff upper lip, of just slapping on a smile, of pretending that you're fine, of faking it till you make it. The idea that crying is for sissies and that you shouldn't show your emotion because you're basically showing your weakness. That was the ruling idea for quite some time. But today, many people are raising their children and treating themselves at the opposite end of that spectrum, where feelings reign supreme. And emotionality is not only inevitable, it's not only natural, but it's even desirable. It's to be celebrated, it's to be embraced wholeheartedly and completely and totally. In fact, we've gone so far as to, in some regards, conflate what we feel with the truth. In their landmark book, The Coddling of the American Mind, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt argue that there are three major lies that today's generation of young people have been told. And one of them was, I feel it, therefore it's true. In other words, our internal emotional dials, our feelings, whatever happens to come up in that wave of emotion that overcomes us or the feelings that we have, are some kind of compass, an indicator, a barometer for the truth. If I feel that you have offended me, then that's true. If I feel that I can't do something, then that's true. If I feel that something isn't fair, again, that's true. And the only evidence I need is my own internal and completely subjective experience. The internal experience is not just personal It's not just subjective. It's not just something that I am going to feel differently than the person next to me. But it's also not very reliable. It's not long lasting. It's not a stable barometer, right? Because feelings like waves come and go and they change often very quickly, especially if people are on this emotional roller coaster, if they're quite emotional people, if they're very in touch and they're being taught to be in touch, to put a magnifying glass on whatever it is they feel, then those feelings are going to change minute by minute, sometimes dramatically and drastically. 
And that is what's happening today. Children today are asked how they feel about things a bajillion percent more than children ever have been. And that is a well-researched statistic I just stated there. But seriously, today, all of the parenting blogs I read, the books I read, are very, very focused on asking children how they feel. How did you feel about that? And what do you feel about that? And how did you feel about your day? How do you feel about your teacher? And how do you feel about dinner, etc.? This seems to be a very popular idea, is to constantly be in touch with our our emotional state. But not only that, it's also to expand children's emotional vocabulary, right? Their ability to express the difference between frustration and irritation and aggravation and agitation. We want to kind of give them this very broad vocabulary so that they can be very specific and precise about exactly what it is that they feel. And we want to encourage them to express it a lot, to express it through art, through language, through drama, through music, to tell and share and show their feelings on their face, on their bodies and in the world around them. So our focus has become very much on feelings. And if it sounds a little bit like I have an issue with this, in some ways I do. And I'm going to explain what that is in just a moment. But first, I want to say that I think there's so much to be gained by that. And I am the first to raise my hand and say, yes, I do ask my children about their emotional state a lot. I do want to develop their emotional vocabulary. I do want them to be able to express their feelings through artistic expression. I'm a yes for that. I'm on team feelings and expression. I think they're really, really important. And I think emotional intelligence has been overlooked for so many generations, but it's actually one of the highest forms of intelligence that can actually lead to success in life. When you have what Daniel Siegel calls mindsight, when you have the ability to understand your own mind and other people's minds and to respond in appropriate manners to their emotional states and to your own, I think that is an absolutely crucial tool that will undoubtedly increase the quality of your life in every way and your success in every realm and in every endeavor. So I absolutely think that they do matter. The truth is that your feelings, your gut instincts, your intuition, all of these subjective kind of things that arise within you, states that arise within you, they matter. They can be helpful and they should be honored. I think the previous generation's approach of suppressing any negative feelings, of hiding them, of shoving them down, of covering them up with a smile, of pretending that they didn't feel sad or depressed or grief or anything, (laughs) any kind of anguish or anger or aggravation, I don't think that was healthy. I think that suppressed emotions come out in much more detrimental ways later on. I think that suppressed emotions absolutely are going to build up. They're going to create that heavy emotional backpack, as Dr. Laura Markham calls it, that becomes harder and harder to unpack and can end up in bigger and bigger and more dramatically damaging ways down the line. I don't think suppression is the key at all. However, feelings can also be really misleading or misguided or even downright lies. And the idea that we should somehow align our truth dial to our feelings dial is faulty. I feel it, therefore it's true, is a lie that we've been told. Our feelings are derived from our thoughts, after all. And if our thoughts are following faulty cognitive patterns, we're being led astray, like the blind leading the blind. It's our thoughts that are faulty in and of themselves. We're following faulty thought patterns that are leading our feelings that might also be misguided. Because if you're like most people, and I mean 99.999% of people on the planet, your thoughts and your thought patterns involve fallacies and biases. There are ways of thinking that are simply wrong or at least very unhelpful. They don't serve us, right? These fallacies are well known in the cognitive behavioral science realm. And they're things like 
catastrophizing, right? If you always expect the worst, that's the catastrophizing fallacy. If you have black and white thinking, which means that you see everything as all or nothing, a success or failure, not seeing nuance, right? That's a cognitive fallacy. Or if you personalize, if you take things personally or even take offense, even when things have nothing to do with you. So you assume that someone's face that they were making was about you when really it was about what happened at the bank that morning. These are cognitive fallacies because they aren't actually based on anything truthful. When we see something through the lens of catastrophizing, for example, we are jumping to this conclusion that the worst will come, that the way that this is going to go, this thing is going to be as awful as it can be. I don't know if you've had thoughts like that, perhaps about your health or about the economy or about how your child might grow up or about how your marriage is going or about a business you started. And you just are plagued with the intrusive thought that this is all going to blow up in my face. This is going to go terribly wrong. I'm going to end up in jail. I'm going to end up in the hospital. I'm going to end up bankrupt. I'm going to live under a bridge, right? These types of worst case scenario thinkings, they seem to make sense in our mind, but they're actually based on statistical anomalies, on things that aren't realistic risk assessments. And they're based on a cognitive fallacy of catastrophizing. Black and white thinking is a similar thing because the truth is that every situation you approach and think about always has nuance. It always has shades of gray. So if you think, for example, that my child is the worst or the best, right? Or you think that something is a complete failure. While nothing's ever a complete failure, there were always lessons learned. There were always some gems hidden within that situation. Black and white thinking tends to involve words like never, or always, totally, completely, utterly, absolutely, right? It's this rigid way of thinking that leaves no space for all of the many ways that things are complex in life. It's actually a very simplified way of looking at the world. People are complex, situations are complex, opportunities, choices, decisions, relationships. These are all nuanced and complex, and they involve a lot of shades of grey. And personalizing is that lens through which I think everything's about me. I think that people are doing things to me or because of me. And this way of thinking is, again, you know, something that most of us engage in. We Most of us have some degree of all of the fallacies and, and there are many. I'm just naming a few. But it's they're all a little bit of a stuckness in an immature mindset, right? They are all present, say, in a three or four-year-old. But the goal of maturing and of mindset work and of personal growth and development is that we slowly start to notice them and wean ourselves off of this way of thinking. But personalizing is a great example where we think that someone's rudeness or tiredness or frustration or shortness with us is about us. When in the vast majority of cases, people behave the way that they behave because of stuff that's going on in their own minds, because of their own cognitive fallacies or their own challenges and difficulties. There are many more fallacies like the fairness fallacy, right? The expectation that everything should be fair when evidence is very clear that life is not fair. Many different fallacies that come up and they're worth diving into and we will dive into them along the course of the HiFam podcast. But just to wet your palate with these few, I want to say that these are the lenses through which we think. And when you're thinking through these lenses, of course, you're going to feel all sorts of feelings, all sorts of sadness, all sorts of anger, all sorts of frustration and negativity. The issue there becomes that our feelings can't possibly be reflective of capital T, the truth, because they are based on a fallacy to begin with. 
Hey, we'll be right back to the show, but real quick, I need to ask you, do you want to know how I kept my day job, started a side hustle and built my business from scratch while birthing, feeding, raising and schooling my five children at home? Well, there are many things that go into it, but the key that made the most difference by far is that my children play independently for hours at a time. No, they are not unicorn children. There's nothing special about them, although they are special to me. All children are designed to play independently for hours a day. Yeah, even yours. But in our culture, play has been stolen, which is tragic because play is so good for kids and also such a breather for us adults. If your child is clinging, reliant on screens or on you for entertainment, you need to check out my new free masterclass, How to Transform Your Home into a Play-Inducing Haven. In it, I will break down how to get your child playing independently with the play zones that every child needs. Go to reclaimplay.com forward slash haven. Okay, back to the show. I think a more helpful way of looking at feelings is to realize that feelings are more like symptoms, like an indicator. When you have a fire alarm in your house, the fire alarm can be life-saving. It can be 100% accurate. The fact that it goes off when there is a fire in the house is critical. The trouble is that many of us have faulty fire alarms in our emotional system. We get panicked. We get anxious. We get worried, scared, angry at things that aren't really a fire. It's just someone cooking the pasta. There are many of us who have had that experience of alarm going off in our home and then we realize, oh, it's just because it tripped. It was not sensitive enough, not accurate enough, and it tripped because of a little bit of steam or someone smoking a cigarette or something like that, like a candle being lit, but not a full-blown fire. And it was completely disproportionate to the event. It wasn't appropriate at all. The alarm should not have tripped. Now, if you're a human being and you've gone through any kind of trauma, any kind of challenge, any kind of difficulty through life, or just grew up in a home where the mindsets weren't entirely healthy and strong and resilient, then you're going to have some faulty alarm sets in your home. It's a little bit like that guy in front of you on the highway who is indicating left for like 30 minutes straight. And no, they're not going to turn left. So I can ignore that indicator because there is no left turn and they've just forgotten to switch it off. Sometimes our sadness or our panic or our sense of disconnect or our sense of loneliness are a bit like those indicators of that faulty alarm. Or maybe it's like a physical symptom, like a rash. If a child gets a rash, well, of course, we might want to treat the rash, just like we want to switch off the fire alarm or switch off the indicator. But that doesn't necessarily point to why the rash started in the first place. Why was the fire alarm tripped? Where is this oversensitivity? Why did the guy forget to switch his indicator off? Is he maybe too tired to be driving? And why did our child develop a rash? What are they sensitive to? What is it a symptom of? Relating purely to the feelings is very similar to relating purely to that external stimuli, to the external symptom, to just the thing that happens to catch our attention. Feelings catch our attention because they wash over us, but they don't necessarily give us the opportunity unless we take it, and I invite you to, to delve further into where they came from. What interpretation of reality, what thought system, what sensitivity was I holding that led me to feel that way? The truth is that feelings matter. Your feelings matter. And you absolutely need to learn to feel them fully. Suppressing feelings does not work. It always 
backfires in the long run. They always come out in far less beneficial ways and far more harmful and damaging ways when they are suppressed. When you keep inside that feeling of resentment, that feeling of frustration, that feeling of sadness and grief, and you just bury it and suppress it as previous generations have told us to do, it generally comes out in areas you would be surprised by. It can come out in physical manifestations of illness. It can come out in explosive and even violent and aggressive ways later on. So your feelings really matter and expressing them in a healthy manner matters too. I think the best way to look at feelings is a bit like a wave that washes over you. And you can't stop a wave. You can't like halt it, right? You need to become a surfer that learns how to ride the wave and learn from it, right? Kind of find harmony and unity with it. Another of my favorite metaphors for feelings is that they are very similar to our physical digestive system. We have an emotional digestive system and a physical digestive system. And we know that whatever input we put into our system, it needs to be processed, it needs to be digested, and then it needs to be discarded. All of the poop needs to come out at the other side. And if you don't let it out, if you hold it in, you're going to cause some pretty serious physical repercussions from that. And the same is true of your emotional system. But also, it's not particularly pleasant to let it out. It's a private affair. You've got to go to the bathroom. You've got to shut the door. To have a healthy digestive tract, we want to make sure that there is regular movement and that things are running pretty smoothly and pretty regularly. And the same is true for emotions. We have all sorts of negative input that come in, people that annoy us, disappointments that we have, appointments that get moved around, sudden changes and fluctuations in our hormonal levels, in our reality, in the economy, in our relationship. Whatever it is that happens, even the weather has an impact on our emotional state. And those are all the inputs, like the food that we're putting into our system. We then need to digest them, which basically means feeling those feelings and allowing them to move through us and then letting them out. That could be just releasing them to Mother Earth in a meditation. It could be writing it out in a journal. It could be taking it to the gym and, you know, pumping iron while you just get all your anger out. There are many different ways to express and release emotion from our body, but it does need to move through and it does need to come out because your feelings do matter and keeping them inside you is not a good idea. But the facts matter too. There's a popular meme that goes around on social media that the facts don't care about your feelings. And whilst this sounds a little harsh and unempathic and might be used as such, it has a point. The facts do matter. And logic and reality and practicality and taking action is important. And the facts are where the truth lies. Yes, your subjective feelings about the truth matter. But the truth is objective. So, for example, if my toddler has a massive epic, legendary, off-the-charts level tantrum. And I get really triggered. And I feel under attack. And I feel like a failure. I feel guilty that I've done something wrong. I've been a terrible parent, that there's something wrong with my child. I start catastrophizing my brain. Oh, they're going to end up in jail. There's something wrong with me. The neighbors are going to hear. They're going to call social services. This is terrible, right? I start catastrophizing in my thoughts. Of course, this all happens in milliseconds. And automatically a derivment of that is that I start to feel all those feelings, that guilt and that fear, right? Fear is a huge one. And then I also start to emote them, right? So I start to actually feel them physically in my body, like my heart starts pumping faster, my skin starts flushing, maybe my teeth start grinding, my eyebrows start 
you know, furrowing. And uh, my fists start clenching and I start to emote this anger, this fear, this agitation. Now I'm in a position where I might also act on those feelings, right? Because it's become the truth to me. If you feel it, therefore it's true. Then when I feel under attack by my two-year-old, then it's true. And that's going to justify my explosion at them right? If I then yell at the top of my lungs and shame them and and get super angry, then I, what can I do? I felt it, right? It kind of lets me off the hook of any responsibility because my feelings are what's driving me. But it wasn't true. My two-year-old did not attack me. I felt like it was true. And that was based on all, you know, whatever, childhood trauma, societal stories, any, you know, maybe evolutionary psychology, all sorts of things that might have contributed to my feeling like a saber-toothed tiger was about to eat me. But the truth was it was just a two-year-old crying over the sippy cup. And therefore, we absolutely must differentiate between facts and feelings. I still need to digest those feelings. I still need to move through them. I'm still going to need to feel them and not suppress them. But I wouldn't be justified on acting upon them because they're just feelings. They're not the truth. So the facts matter too. The fact that it was just a two-year-old having a tantrum, that matters too. I need logic. I need reality. And without the truth, we become emotional messes at the whim of our roller coaster feelings. We become overly emotional without the balance of rational, logical thought. It leads to chaos, to frustration, and to terrible relationships because everything I do is justified because I feel it. Think about the number of excuses we make because we feel it. I felt insecure. I felt like you were rejecting me. I felt abandonment. I felt disrespected. I felt afraid. I felt worried. I felt guilty. All of these feelings are valid and you need to honor them. You need to work through them. You need to feel them. And sometimes you need to express them, but they're not facts. Just because I feel rejected when my husband goes and works in the evening instead of coming and hanging out with me does not mean that it's true. If I followed that you know, lie that we've all been told, I feel it, therefore it's true, then that would be enough proof. I could come and complain to him, you didn't spend time with me and I felt rejected and therefore you rejected me. But that is jumping about a million steps in the process. I am making assumptions, jumping to conclusions, black and white thinking, personalizing up the wazoo, and none of that is based on the fact. Maybe the fact is that my husband very much wanted to spend time with me, but felt a certain pressure from work and had to do some more hours. Maybe the fact is that I looked busy to him because I was in the middle of doing something on my computer and he figured he didn't want to disturb me and he wanted to honor my work. There are a million different reasons that could have been the reason that he went to his computer at night. And the fact that I felt rejected actually doesn't really factor in to the truth at all. It might factor into his empathy towards me, to the reason that I got so activated, or it might factor into me at least understanding myself a little better, how I'm reading people, how I'm reading situations, but it doesn't factor in to the truth. Just because you feel it does not mean it's true. I want to suggest that we need both. We need feelings and facts. We need to honor feelings and facts. 
And I think this is just plain common sense, but somehow we've collectively lost our minds over the last few years and we've forgotten the importance of balance. We've forgotten that there is a yin-yang balance in everything. You might call it the masculine and feminine balance, right? And I don't mean men and women. I mean within our own minds, the difference between masculine thinking and feminine thinking. You might call it a left-right hemisphere balance. We need both. We need both the facts and the truth and the situation and balancing ourselves out with the logic and rationality. And we need our emotional responses to that. We need our intuition. We need our gut instinct. We need to feel things because feeling is what makes life worth living in many ways, right? Feeling those positive emotions like awe, gratitude, love, connection, desire, those chemical, you know, expressions of excitement and warmth and love, etc., are what makes us come alive. That's fabulous. And those negative feelings like fear and worry and doubt and anger are what warn us, right? It's that alarm system. Many of us are operating with a slightly faulty alarm system. And so we need to fine tune it using clear and simple rational logic. That's why I want to tell you that you don't need to live in this world or believe in this world of taking offense all the time. And you don't need to raise your children there either. The idea of constantly taking offense is a bundle of cognitive fallacies and then the feelings that are layered on top of that. And then the idea that that's just the truth, that if you feel it, it's true. I think it's terribly weakening to children to be taught to take offense at things. And that's why in HiFam, we put a huge emphasis on developing an empowered mindset. That means becoming strong and resilient in the face of adversity, challenge, those intrusive negative thoughts that plague us on an internal level, and the offensive ideas and words spoken on the external level. We want to bolster ourselves up from the inside out through mindsets that are healthy, that are strong, that are resilient, that are anti-fragile. And the first step to that is learning that it's not true just because I feel it. I can talk back to my feelings. I can listen to them and I can also sometimes switch off the faulty fire alarm, change its battery. I can address the root cause of the problem and not get stuck on the symptom. I can feel my feelings without acting on them. I can let those emotions run through me. I can kind of ride that wave or digest those feelings fully, but not necessarily let them drive me. Because really, if we start to use our feelings simply as indicator lights that for the most part are pretty useful, but sometimes have been left on way too long, then we start to realize that when we let feelings run our life, when we're on an emotional roller coaster and we're constantly being swept up by whatever we happen to feel and emote, then it's kind of a case of the tail wagging the dog. It's a small system in our ecosystem of ourself, just our feeling system. And it's there to help guide us, absolutely, but it's not there to override us. We can't just hand over the wheel of our entire life to our feelings. That is a terrible idea and it's leading to terrible consequences. We see this in the rising rates of anxiety, depression. The sense of helplessness and powerlessness is what happens when you tell people that whatever they feel is just the truth. That's all that they need in order to know what is true. That if you feel offended, then you were offended by someone. They did something wrong. If you feel like a victim, then someone has, in fact, victimized you. If you feel hurt, then someone meant to hurt you. 
it jumps to so many conclusions that aren't really there, that aren't really legitimately present. They might be, they might not be. And it skips over all of those ideas like innocent until proven guilty or like giving the benefit of the doubt. When we just rely on our assumptions that are based on our feelings, we are completely and quite literally out of touch with reality. We're not looking at what's happening in reality and we're empowering ourselves with magical things like the ability to read minds. If I felt like you were trying to hurt me, then that's the truth. You were trying to hurt me because now that feelings equal truth, I am now a mind reader. Whatever my feelings point to is in fact the truth. It doesn't need to be questioned or looked into. It doesn't need to be corroborated or checked out. I don't even need to check in with you what your intentions were. If I feel like you were trying to hurt me, then that's in fact the reality. This is a fast track to disempowerment, a absolutely slippery slope, you know, like a water slide (laughs) that crash lands square in the land of complete and total disenfranchisement, depression and despair, because we all have a negativity bias. And that means that if I believe all my feelings are true, I believe all my negative feelings are true. And because I have a negativity bias, I'm going to feel a lot of negative feelings all the time. So every time I feel sad or hurt or rejected or abandoned or angry, it's true. And I should feel those ways. And I'm vindicated and validated and justified. Then that will absolutely lead to the conclusion that anyone would come to that the world is in fact an awful place that's out to get me. And that's why in HiFam, we're going to teach you to become unoffendable. We're going to teach you how to teach your children to become unoffendable, to bolster up their spine, their strength, and to be able to honor their feelings, digest them, express them, feel them without operating or being run over by them. So here's another one from the HiFam mission statement. Honor facts and feelings. Did you find yourself disagreeing completely with the ideas you heard today? Or perhaps agreeing emphatically? Or somewhere in the middle? Good, because our goal is to spark meaningful conversations about what it takes to raise strong, resilient, tight families. Use this topic to spark a conversation in your own home, with yourself, your partner, or even your children where relevant. And if you found this valuable, the best way to support the show is to leave a rating and a review, and more importantly, to share it with parents you know who are also trying to build a strong family culture.